As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Today's episode of The Audible is brought to you by Trader Joe's, a national chain of neighborhood grocery stores where you can run a naked bootleg to score delicious food at great prices. From mac and cheese balls to mini balls of meat, you'll always end up with a touchdown. Learn more at TraderJoes.com and at Trader Joe's on Instagram. Welcome to The Audible. I'm Stuart Mandel, joined by Bruce Feldman. This is our Happy Thanksgiving Week episode. Not a lot happened on the field Saturday, Bruce, but uh, the coaching carousel is heating up. Very much so, Stu. Yeah. A big domino fell out here on, in Southern California with Jim Mora. They could not beat their arch rival USC, and then they fired him officially uh, Sunday morning. As we're taping this, it is Monday morning, and it's important to put that timestamp on it because I suspect things will really heat up in the next next 48 hours, 72 hours. Uh, the biggest fish out there on the coaching carousel uh, free agency is Chip Kelly. Uh, we talked about him a little bit last week, but his name is is definitely in the mix as, as we reported, uh, as I reported early Monday morning. So after he had met again with Florida Brass, had flown out to New Hampshire to sit down with him, uh, and sources have told me there was never any intention, no matter how well it went, the meeting, for him to be back on the plane with with the president and the AD and other and four other people from uh, UF management to be going back to Gainesville. But I am told the meeting from both sides felt like they, they felt it went well, but there's an understanding that Chip was going to be very deliberate in his process. Obviously, with Florida uh, being out there, that's a big job. UCLA is going to pay over $12 million to Jim Moore to get rid of him. And Chip Kelly's believed to be their top target. And there's some, you know, I think he finds both jobs appealing for different reasons. And we're going to see what he decides he feels like is best going forward. So do you expect, do you expect, first of all, do you think those are the two jobs he is considering or is he going to wait for whatever other dominoes might fall? And uh, do you expect him to make that decision before it's very unusual for a school to hire a new coach while they're you know from the outside before their team's regular season is over you think that could happen this week 
I think Florida would love to have something decided by Thanksgiving or before Thanksgiving. But, um, you know, it's a very interesting dynamic because on one hand you have UF where two different coaches have won national titles in football. You have great recruiting base. You have good facilities. So there's that. On the other hand, you, you have UCLA where also a great recruiting base. You have, you know, improved facilities. You're in the Pac-12, which he knows very well. And then the other factor, which is a significant one, I think, is he could be very comfortable out in Southern California where it's not this fishbowl quality to the job, which Florida's isn't as bad as it is at, say, Tennessee, but it's just still, I mean, you had a bunch of media waiting for him, waiting for those people at the airport. And it's, you know, we remembered the way the, the, uh, the search with Jim McElwain went with the pictures from his house in Colorado. And, and so there's still, it's a, it's a different level of attention that you get when you're a head coach at a big SEC job. So, I mean, is there a chance there's another job out there that, you know, he could be intrigued by? Perhaps. If it is, I don't know what it is. I mean, even if, and this is another big domino, even if Texas A&M can get Jimbo Fisher, my gut is Florida State wouldn't be the school to try to hire Chip Kelly. So I don't, I don't know what that other job would be. I don't, I mean, I could see Nebraska being interested in him. You know, I don't know. I, I, I think it's going to be a very, very interesting cycle because of him and because there's so many big jobs that are going to come open. Well, when UCLA did fire Mora Sunday, and, you know, obviously putting to rest any doubts that they were willing to pay that buyout, that hefty buyout, but also doing it now as opposed to waiting a week. I mean, that was a pretty clear signal. They wanted to get in on the Chip Kelly sweepstakes. Uh, maybe they had gotten word how quickly things are moving with Florida. I think you and I have both believed for a long time that pretty much exactly what you just said, that it just seems like you'd be more comfortable somewhere less high profile, I guess it was a way to put it, than Florida. It may sound strange to say that about UCLA when it's in LA and it's in the second largest media market, but you live there and you know that UCLA football kind of flies under the radar, not just compared with now two NFL teams and the Lakers and the Dodgers and all that, but just USC football is the team that gets the the fishbowl treatment there. UCLA kind of operates uh, a little more anonymity. And, you know, West, I just, I think there's a lot of things about that job that seem more natural fit for Chip Kelly than that fishbowl in Gainesville. But obviously, if you were to remove Chip from the equation and just say, which is the better job, and it's clearly Florida, but it's high pressure. I think that the things that are working against UCLA with, when you have a big coach and you're up against another big program is the commitment to football at Gainesville and in a lot of big SEC programs, certainly at USC, is different than it is at UCLA. At UCLA, you you know, you maybe say, "Hey, we need this," and the answer is going to be no. You may not even get somebody to respond to it if you listen to some of the people, you know, who know that you know the ins and outs of the UCLA program well. And there's a lot of stuff to sort through. They they won't you know sign off on stuff. When he was at Oregon, you know, you had the blessing of the blessing of obviously Phil Knight and you're going to get some stuff done. Certainly that's the way it is at powerhouse programs in the SEC at that school at UCLA. That's a, that's a big challenge there. So I could see, you know, that'd certainly be a, a, uh, a check mark in, in Florida's favor there, but you're right. Even, and even at UC USC, there's not a fishbowl for let's say Clay Helton 
it's just not the way things are out here in Southern California. It's just different on that regard. So, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. And it, it, you know, if you're UCLA and I know that, you know, we, you and I talked about this a little bit before this, so you're going to pay over $12 million. And this is not a school that's like Texas A&M where it's just like big money. People are throwing money left and right. So if you don't get Chip Kelly, what does UCLA do? I mean, maybe they could get Kyle Whittingham. He obviously has a lot of ties on the West Coast and has is, is had great success at Utah. You know, they were interested in Kevin Sumlin before. He almost came out here, you know, five years ago. That's a possibility. I know that there's some interest in Brian Harson. Uh, still, do you spend 12, raise $12 million to get rid of Jim Moore to go hire Brian Harson? I mean, also Jed Fish, who's the interim now. I mean, obviously USC went the interim route with Clay Helton. Jed Fish did a really nice job for them this year, made major improvement in their offense. I know they like him internally, but I think the optics of Chip, Chip Kelly or no Chip Kelly, it's not what Tennessee is going to deal with if they miss on, if they, if they don't show up with John Gruden, because there's a major meltdown in the fan base there. But I still think, um, you know, it's going to be a very, very interesting thing to sort out here out in Westwood. Well, by no means is it, I can't imagine their fans would think it's a given that they're going to get Chip Kelly. That's going to be, you know, a bit of an upset, frankly, if they pull it off. The the name that makes a lot of sense for them, and I do want to get back to Florida in a second, but the name that makes a lot of sense for them is Kevin Sumlin. And you've hinted all along that he might just get out before they can fire him. Now we're down to the he's last not. Week by of the way, there. he's not going to uh, get out. They're, they're, they're going to f- have to fire him. I mean, they would owe him $10 million, you know, and he's worked to put together a recruiting glass. I don't think that they're, he's not leaving before they fire him. But that the whole thing could happen kind of back to back. Yeah, it could. I'm sure that they, look, they want to, A&M's going to want to move. I mean, maybe they have somebody in mind and we know that they have interest in Jimbo Fisher. If they, if they couldn't get him to leave FSU, does that mean they go to like somebody like Gary Kubiak, who's, you know, got a lot of Aggie ties and has NFL, go the NFL route. I, I mean, who knows what they're going to do, what Scott Woodward, the AD, is going to do from there. I think someone could do very well at UCLA. And, you know, and I'm saying that it's almost like a Mark Rick situation a little bit where Georgia, there was definitely time to make a change there. And yet I thought Miami made a good hire and obviously that has panned out. I can't deny that it's time for A&M to make a change. Eight and four every year is not going to get it done at A&M. But... At UCLA, just you're not in the same division as Alabama. You're in the same division as USC, but USC right now, Clay Helton, although they are playing for the Pac-12 championship, I don't think anybody would claim that that program is at Alabama level. Um, and then after that, you know, you're on par or in better position than any of the other programs. So I think he could do pretty well there. And I think Chip Kelly, if he did come to UCLA, would just – you, I mean, it's the worst possible thing that could happen to USC. It's the worst possible thing that could happen to Oregon. Then Willie Taggart is going to be measured against him. Now, if Chip Kelly goes to Florida, that would be the most exciting thing that's happened with SEC coaching in many, many years. Just, I, I we would begin counting down now. Does Florida play Alabama next year? I, I can't wait for the first Chip Kelly, Nick Saban matchup if that if that comes to pass well just the how bad the gators have been in offense on offense the best they've been the best they've ranked in like the six last six or seven years on offense is like 89th the best i mean it's been brutal well who better to fix the offense than than chip kelly by the way his protege 
Scott Frost, now in the same state at UCF, took over a team that was won zero games. Now they're undefeated. Worst offense in the country. Now they have the best offense in the country. For any people who go, oh, you know, people have caught up to that system. Yeah, take a look at what's going on at UCF. It's not that people have caught up to that system. It's just not, you know, wherever Chip Kelly lands, he will not be running the exact same offense he did in 2010. You know, it, hey, that's but, how but football Stu, keep works. this in mind. People said, you know, Leach's first couple of years at, at in Pullman, everyone had caught up to his system. You know what? If you execute it really well, it works. Well, Nobody and if you to- if you're constantly tweaking it, adding new wrinkles and but most of all if you have the players. It's if you have the players, but it's ultimately how well you execute it. And I think that's the difference. And again, like I go back to the leech example. Everyone said they caught up to him. They didn't catch up to him. Because if you you know, it just comes back, they knew what he was doing back then. They couldn't you just can't stop it if you don't execute as well as the, as they do. Now and I think that's what comes back to playing fast and and again I I wouldn't bet against Chip Kelly, certainly if he had Florida the kind of talent he can get at Florida. It's a lot more than what you can can get in Eugene Oregon. So I was just checking, they don't play they don't play Alabama in twenty eighteen and the way the SEC is, maybe they don't play them until like two thousand thirty. I don't know. But uh who they would face is Alabama Light, Georgia, Kirby Smart, and it would be it would be another test of and, and look, I mean, it would take him I don't I don't think he's gonna be scoring fifty points a game with Felipe Franks. You know, it's gonna take him some time to get his people in place, but it would get back to the question that would always exist. I mean, Oregon never could quite get past the perception in the SEC that that offense didn't, wouldn't work against the SEC because they would play Auburn in the title game or they played LSU and somebody that had a really good defensive line and they would shut it down. And so he'll face that same scrutiny going into Florida, but he can get better players. He can get more physical linemen. He can get, you know, I don't, he had no problem getting speed and skill players at Oregon. I don't think that's the question, but he got to the national title game with Darren Thomas as his quarterback. Darren Thomas did he play in the CFL? He definitely never played in the NFL. He, right. He, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, his last th- – he was a head coach four years, and the last three he finished fourth, third, and second. That's not an accident. It's, it's actually unbelievable that he was only there four – I mean, it felt like such a kind of important period in college football with the, just how revolutionary it was and the idea that Oregon, which was not that far removed from being uh, – and also ran in the Pac-10 – was now the dominant program in the Pac-12. It's hard to believe he was only there. He was the only head coach for four seasons. Right. All right, Stu, before we get more into I have a coaching question I really want to ask you that I was curious for your thoughts. But before we do that, what better way than to transition into talking about mattresses, since that is so important to getting sleep and feeling like you uh, are ready to take on the day? So last week we told you about Lisa, L-E-E-S-A, both Bruce and I are enjoying our new Lisa mattresses. I know you're sleeping better than you have at any any time recently. Yes, now that's not saying that much because I'm <laughs> not a big sleeper, but I'll take any support and any help I can get. And it's been a big upgrade. I imagine you feel the same way. Oh, without question. The, the thing about mattresses is you don't realize how old your mattress is until you get the new one. And Lisa in particular really stands out. And the cool thing about Lisa is there's also, it's a socially conscious company. So... They plant one tree for every mattress sold and donate 1% of each employee's time to volunteer for local causes. They also are driven by the mission to provide a better place to sleep for everybody. Lisa donates one mattress to a shelter for every 10 
They sell through their 110 program, and over 22,000 mattresses have been donated so far. Bruce, you know it's Black Friday this week. Starting November 19th and running through Black Friday, Lisa will be offering $125 off the Lisa mattress plus a free pillow that is worth $75. That is a great value, Stu. What better way to get ready for the holidays than getting a great night's sleep? Sleep is the most underrated aspect of your own health. And so why not take real charge and make a, make a move that's going to better your well-being? Back to the podcast. All right, Stu, I wanted to ask you this. So we talked a lot you know, in the past couple of weeks about Dan Mullen, and you know, maybe he ends up being the guy at, at uh, Tennessee. Certainly, I think he's done well in the SEC, knows the conference. Let me ask you this. Who do you think is a better coach, Dan Mullen or Mike Leach? That's a kind of random comparison, I think. It, it is and it isn't. Here's why. Dan Mullen, his is name is up there for a lot of jobs because there's going to be a bunch open in the SEC. Now, Mike Leach also was a coordinator in the SEC at once upon a time at Kentucky, set a bunch of records. But, but you're talking about guys who have worked at, at Power 5 jobs that are not that well-resourced. I mean, Mississippi State is clearly the, the toughest job in the SEC West. Mike Leach is in Pullman, Washington, which was an abysmal program when he took over. Now he's got him as consistently in the top 20, top, maybe top 10 sometimes. Just beat USC. They're both offensive guys. The hunch here is that Mike Leach would love to be in the mix for some of these jobs that Dan Mullen is in on. You know, Dan Mullen has a shot at Tennessee. Who knows? Maybe Florida falls to him. I think those are jobs Mike Leach would jump at. So I'm asking you, who do you think is a better coach? I think Mike Leach is a better coach. I think Mike Leach is a more, he just got a longer track record. I think Dan Mullen, I mean, Dan Mullen's a really good coach too. But you know it's not that simple. Dan Mullen can pretty much translate anywhere. Mike Leach has coached in Lubbock and Pullman, two kind of of middle-of-nowhere places where his really, really, really unique personality goes over well and and is not really controversial in any way. I think many of those things, though, would scare off the kind of mainstream programs, if you will, that Dan Mullen would be in the mix for. If you are Tennessee, if you are the AD of Tennessee, and you know John Curry well, Mm -hmm. would you be scared of hiring? I mean, this is a program that had hired Lane Kiffin. Yeah, and for that reason, I'd be scared to hire Mike Leach. It's another kind of, I mean, for lack of a better... Mike Leach has spent this season, and by the way, this is... Washington State has a chance this week against in the Apple Cup to clinch a spot in the conference championship games. It's been a great season for them, even with those two clunkers on the road. And he has been spending time this season battling Texas Tech for his money on Twitter. You think Tennessee wants to deal with that? No, I'm not sure that I don't think they would. Right. I, I'm sure that doesn't help his chances to, you know, for somebody else to 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 sign on for that. No. I hate to say that, Mike Leach, friend of the podcast. Uh, I once gave him travel recommendations in Barcelona, and he's never forgotten it. He reminds me about it every time I talk to him. But, yeah, it's hard for me to imagine him at a place like Tennessee. And, you know, speaking of Lane Kiffin, by the way, they just clinched a spot in the conference championship game. I mean, there's no denying, like the guy, hate the guy, he is obviously proving his coaching 
merits this season at FAU. And at the same time, I think making it even less likely that he's ever going to resurface at a big Power 5 job with the Twitter stuff. Yeah, I, I, I think somebody, some Power 5 AD at some point would be willing to take a shot on him. I don't know who that AD is, but... You know, I just I just think there's there's going to be a lot of people who are going to be first of all, I think it's going to take more than one really good year at FAU for people to think, OK, this is definitely a a, a coaching guru. You know, I, I think it's more than that. But I don't know. Somebody hired Bobby Petrino. Well, Bobby Petrino. Yes. And Bobby Petrino's misconduct was unquestionably worse than anything Lane Kiffin has done. But if the idea is he's supposed to prove he's more mature, and look, he did a, you know, Chris Manini from the All-American did a nice uh, sit down with him a few weeks ago and flat out asked him about that stuff. And he said that he doesn't really care. You know, he, he just wants to, he's going to be himself. He doesn't care about proving whether or not he's more mature or not. He wants to make people laugh on Twitter. So he is who he is. And that is great at FAU. Again, I mean, Tennessee, obviously we can't use them as an example. They're not going to hire him again, but. There are going to be, I wrote about this on Monday morning, and I was curious what you think. There's a possibility, and I admit that it's every domino has to fall for this to happen. Possibility that half the SEC will change coaches this season. Seven of the 14 schools. There's going to be at least five. I would expect there'll be six if Mullen could get a new job. Well, and the one that could really throw things for a loop is Malzahn. And there's been increasing rumblings that he may just get out of there and go to Arkansas. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, I always feel like, you know, he's been on the hot seat to some degree for like two years running. Mm-hmm. And I always feel like he's one two-game losing streak away from from being back on the hot seat, no matter how much he wins there. And I think that's got to be really taxing for your family and certainly for him. And he's going to have a new AD or there's going to be a new AD coming in there. So, you know, if Arkansas loves him so much and the Tyson Chicken guys want to <laughs> throw a ton of money at him, you know, you're still in the SEC West. It's more home. He's a really he is a really good coach, and he's obviously done a really nice job there. But it's such a it, it just feels like Auburn is the craziest of all the crazy jobs because of this kind oh, of stuff. Oh, without question. And you're absolutely right. I mean, he's gone from if he lost to both Georgia and Alabama, he's probably going to get fired. He beats Georgia. Now he's in a position this week if he beats Alabama to go play for the SEC championship. And if I'm him. Even if they do that, even if they win the SEC championship, go to the playoff, if I'm him, I'm still feeling like, you know what, Why, I spent three years trying to fight for my job. Next year, we turn around and go 8-4, and four, they're going to fire me again. Arkansas is available. Let's do this. But if that were to happen, that's the every domino falls, seven jobs are open. Any of them. Could Lane Kiffin get any of them, or is it just not on the table? No, I don't think it's on the table. Yeah. I really don't. I just think it's it's too risky at this point. I just don't see any of these ADs being the ones who would do it. Yeah. So, you know, there are football games that are being played this Thanksgiving weekend. Some really good ones, too, starting with the Oh, wait. Before we jump into that, let me ask you one quick question. Because last weekend was a dud of games. But there was one interesting development. I don't know how interesting, but one development that I got asked a lot about when I've done some interviews already this, you know, today, which was Baker Mayfield's obscene gesture against Kansas. Uh how do you view it if you view it into the into him as your Heisman frontrunner? Well, unlike the the planning the flag, uh, and by the way, Oklahoma just announced that Baker Mayfield 
will not start against West Virginia this week. I guess that's his punishment for I this. I see that, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, th- th- this one, you know, he was clearly in the wrong. Uh, there's no question about it. By the way, did you find it weird that ESPN he kept replaying it, the crotch grab over and over on SportsCenter and, and all their shows, but they would pixelate it? Yeah, I mean, you know what it is. I mean, I don't know. It just seems kind of, uh, I don't know. You're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. Yeah, so, I mean, they thought it was newsworthy enough to keep showing over and over, but not family-friendly enough, that they had, so they had to pixelate it. Anyway, to answer your question, it doesn't impact the Heisman at all. It would have to, somebody, a guy would have to do something pretty bad for me to not vote for him for the Heisman because of it. And it's interesting, such extremes on Twitter. And on Saturday, seemingly everybody in my mentions fell into one of two camps. Either, and, and granted, these were mostly Oklahoma fans. Well, you know, Kansas got what it deserved. They didn't shake his hand. They had the cheap shot. You know, they started it, basically. And then, of course, the people who, and remember, this isn't happening in a vacuum. He got arrested this offseason. They are maybe already have a negative impression of him. And, you know, the Johnny Manziel comparisons are coming out. And then, of course, the, you know, why would you give this guy the Heisman? He's not deserving of it. And, you know, it's possible both can be true that that was a bad thing to do, but also doesn't really affect the Heisman. My thing with the Heisman is, at some point, and I'm thinking it was probably the Cam Newton year, somebody went on their website and found that mission statement that has the word integrity in it, mm-hmm. and has then taken that to, then, then wants to hold everybody accountable under that standard. And what people don't realize is, the Heisman can write whatever they want on their website. I'm a voter, and... The instructions only say vote for the most outstanding player on the ballot and the email they send. Nobody has ever, and you can tell me if you've had a different experience. Nobody, I've been doing it since 2004. Nobody has ever said you're supposed to vote for the most outstanding player, but only if his integrity is up to a certain level. Yeah, and uh, I'm with you. Also, and the point I made, and I'm trying to remember which specific player like was in question, but I remember some fan base was lobbying for another guy. And I had said, you know what? I, we only know if they're on the field or not. I mean, for the most part, because this other guy that this fan base was lobbying for, myself and a colleague that I worked with, we were looking into whether like somebody bought a house for his family. You know, like there, you just don't know. You right. know, I remember like when Manti Teo, everyone made him out to be, you know, above and beyond and. You know, there was the, the, you know, the story that wasn't quite what it was meant to be or whatever. And I still it just, think he, to this day, I think he got um, unfairly criticized in that story. Everybody wanted to believe that he had concocted some. Well, I'm just saying, Stu, the point is this story, like that story. That story revealed. Like, yeah, I see what you're saying. It, it just went in a direction where, you know, you, we didn't need to go as Heisman voters. You know, like of this group of guys, I'd say, of you know, who are in the top 10, you know, some of them I've spent a little bit of time with. I can't when I say a little bit, I mean a little bit, you know, you just you know me like, wow, this is an impressive kid or whatever. Um, you know, I feel that way about Saquon Barkley. I feel that way about Jonathan Taylor. You know, I've heard great things about Bryce Love. I'm, I'm trying to remember who the other the other guy would be. But it's like, you know, you just really don't know. You know, you just don't, so it's just not a thing where is Baker Mayfield the most outstanding player on the field? Absolutely. And without him, I think this Oklahoma team might be a seven win team. So, you know, for me, it's like, 
Did, was it a bad look? No question. But you know what? It's um, you're going to take some of the good with some of the bad here. That's ex- I, I feel exactly the way you do. Who are we to judge some twenty year twenty year old kid's character and integrity? We don't know them, and and we may know some th- some unfavorable things about Baker Mayfield. But to your point, like we don't necessarily know everything about the other candidates either. So I feel very qualified to judge their uh, on the field football performances and to read the stats and to see the highlights. I do not feel qualified to judge people's integrity and character. And so it's just not going to enter the equation for me, just like it didn't for Manziel or Jameis Winston or Cam Newton, who at the time, you know, as we remember, people thought that he might be ineligible for the award. So it doesn't enter the equation for me. Yeah. And look, I'll say this. I mean, I've probably interviewed Baker Mayfield just about as much as anybody in the national media. And to his credit, you can ask him about anything in his past and he will answer it, you know, and look you in the eye and tell you, you know, I mean, was this an incredibly, you know, was this a really immature moment? No question. And by the way, from the, you know, some of the other stuff, it's like, I don't want to say it's like you shrug your shoulders at, but I think at this point in our society, we're seeing a lot worse stuff <laughs> that's that's coming out about people, and you just kind of, I almost think you become numb to it. All that being said, I can one one thing you can clearly predict right now is if Baker Mayfield is in position to win the trophy that week, somebody's going to write a column about why they didn't vote for him, and here's why. You know, Stu, we haven't done this in a while. Would you like to get to the mailbag? Indeed, we have not gotten to the mailbag in way too long. People probably at this point don't even remember that we have a mailbag, but we do, and you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. So before we get into the Jason Garluski segment, um, <laughs> why don't you start first? Ah, let's start with a topic that was in my column on the my uh, forward pass column in the All American on Monday, and uh, just a friendly reminder if you go to theathletic.com slash theaudible, you get 25% off a subscription to The Athletic with a free seven-day trial. Scott Butler, gentlemen, the fact that neither of you have Rashad Penny in your Heisman Top 5 is sad. For the record, I do not have a Heisman Top 5. Honestly, the award should not be given out anymore since some 900-plus voters really have no idea what they are talking about. Yeah, Bruce, why don't you have Rashad Penny in your Top 5? The guy... Broke Marshall Fox all-purpose record the other night against Nevada. Look, he's a terrific player, and I don't want to. I hate this part of it because I'm going to end up crapping on him when I really don't want to. Uh, you can make a case for a good case for about ten guys to be there. There's a couple of good players else I didn't have. You know what though? When the competition has been better, you know he's played well. But San Jose State has has one of the like five worst defenses in all of FBS football. I mean, the level of competition is not the same as what some of these other guys are going to face every week. I mean, it's just not. So, you know, the numbers he's putting up have been have been really eye popping and everything. But I'm going to kind of go through some of these teams he's he's played. Nevada, San Jose State, Hawaii. Those are awful, you know, teams right now. When he played Fresno State, who's one of the best teams in that league, he had 69 yards when he played Boise State. And by the way, both those teams were blowout losses. Boise State, 21 carries, 53 yards. That's like two and a half yards a carry. You know, did he play well against Stanford? Yes. But 
you know, those other teams, if you're going to have a shot at, at even getting to New York and you're at a non-Power 5 school, you got to play lights out against everybody. Your team can't average, you know, can, can't be held to a field goal at home against Fresno or get blown out by Boise State. So who, just, who are your five this week? Baker Mayfield, Bryce Love, Saquon Barkley, On Johnson, and Jonathan Taylor. So I do a top three as part of our Heisman straw poll, and Scott will be surprised, I guess, to know that I actually had him third behind Mayfield and Bryce Love. Will that hold up onto my final ballot? Probably not, because he's got one last game this week, and then you know they didn't make the conference championship, whereas Carrion Johnson might will be playing Alabama this week and possibly Georgia after that. And Jonathan Taylor will be playing uh, Ohio State. You know these guys are going to be playing showcase games down the stretch. Bryce Love against Notre Dame this week, so I, I don't see that happening. I mean, Jonathan he Taylor is a great just- player. Jonathan Taylor just averaged seven yards a carry against Michigan and went for over 130 yards against a very nasty defense. I mean, if Jonathan Taylor and, and Wisconsin played San Jose State, he could have rushed for 300 yards, I bet. He's been having just a fantastic season and getting no attention. Well, a part of that is because, you know, his team, you know, he's played basically three opponents that have got a lot of people's attention. But again, it's a power five schedule. It's just... It's not been. By the way, when they, you know, how many yards he went up against when he when he faced your Lane Kiffin team at FAU, two twenty three. Well, there you go. We had another kind of semi related question to this, so we might as well hit it now. Matthew Massey. I actually met Matthew Massey at a restaurant in Columbus the weekend of that game, and he says Saquon Barkley had the September Heisman wrapped up, but he has not topped seventy five rushing yards in five of his last six games. So I have two questions. Does Barkley have any realistic chance of winning the Heisman? And if not, does that mean Barkley had the most precipitous fall from September Heisman winner to just another guy? I would say Geno Smith probably holds that mark at this point. You know, Barkley, it's weird because, you know, and I maintain this, he's the best all-around running back in college football. And what you get with him is he's good in the return game. Ohio State obviously saw that. He's a really good receiver. He's a great blocker. He does everything. So, look, I mean, he's he's going to probably finish with close to 1,200 yards rushing. That's not bad. I mean, he's at, he's over 1,000 yards. They still have another game left. I mean, he may finish with 700 yards receiving, which is a ton for a running back. You know, I think he's a long shot now to win it. You know, if he has a, if he puts up huge numbers in, in this last game, and he would need on Johnson to get shut down, and he would need Baker Mayfield – to go in the game and throw a couple of picks and then have a bad game in the Big 12 title game. I would assume he's not going to win the Heisman. I would assume he still gets to New York. Yeah, I think he will get to New York because out of that voting block there on the, you know, I think Jonathan Taylor will get some out of the Big 10, but I'm not sure who's going to carry a lot of the weight. Like this whole voting electorate thing of of the Heisman is kind of, it's kind of dicey when you kind of put it together. Why do you think, and yes, he has definitely struggled just as a, as a running back, rushing the ball, their offensive line was not great to begin with, and then their right tackle got hurt early in the Ohio mm-hmm. State game, and it hasn't been the same since. But why do you think people have such trouble embracing all-purpose as a staff? Because Saquon Barkley is – I mean, Rashad Penny is clearly number, is by far number one at 
88.8 all-purpose yards per game, but Saquon Barkley second at 188.2, even ahead of Bryce Love at 175.6. It's like, but, you know, Christian McCaffrey broke Barry Sanders' record, and that wasn't enough to, all-purpose record, that wasn't enough to win the Heisman. It's like people only want that traditional between-the-tackles running back, and they don't get any credit for also being a receiver and a returner. Well, I don't think it necessarily has to be a between the tackles running back, but I think it has to do with the return yards can pile up, especially if you return kicks. So I think that goes into it. The two guys who are by far and away the top two both have a lot of kick return yards. Rashard Penny and, and Barkley have both had long kickoff returns, so that adds up. Yeah, and but why shouldn't that, t- that count in your – I mean, not everybody can do that. It does for me, Stu. Yeah. It does for me. I mean, look, I, if you ask me, I mean, right now I have Love slightly ahead of Barkley. But, I mean, I have those four running backs all pretty you know, tightly packed together. If you ask me who I think is a better player, Saquon Barkley or Bryce Love, it's Saquon Barkley 10 times out of 10 times. You know, He's a way better receiver. He's a way better blocker. And he's a big back who's still really explosive. And he's playing better competition consistently. Let's go on to Chris and Astoria. Stu and Bruce, greetings from college football purgatory, Queens. Yikes. I've been glad to hear the college football going on there. No, no, there is not. I've been glad to hear the audible come back this season. Terrible pun intended. Interested in your thoughts on two guys having great years who haven't been subject to too much of the scuttlebutt from what I've read. Brian Harson and Jeff Munkin. Well, you mentioned Brian Harson as a possibility for UCLA, and I do think he's kind of quietly gotten Boise State back in the mix. You know, they're. Definitely going to play for the Mountain West Championship. I think people with Boise, now hold Boise State to the standard of, well, if they're not going to the Fiesta Bowl, then they're not having a great season. And they are still sort of in contention for that New Year's. Now, they had a blowout loss that a lot of people were watching. I don't think, I think that kind of took some of the wing, wind out of their sails a little bit, right? Right. But the other, yeah, the Virginia game. But the other one was yeah. a uh, very close loss to Washington State, who's now 9 and 2. What do you? Th- I mean, do you think Brian Harson is looking to get out of there at the at the next possible moment, or is it going to have to be the right job given his ties there? I think it would have to be the right job. Now, if he could get UCLA, I don't know how he could say no to that. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I think you know, like those Boise State guys have been very selective on do I want to go. It didn't work out so great for Dan Hawkins when he jumped to CU and. Uh, some other guys, you know, it worked out for Houston not, but I wouldn't really call him a Boise State guy. He was there for so, such a short amount of time. But obviously, Chris Peterson was selective. He waited till you know, the time was right for him, and he landed a, a great job, and it was a great fit for him. So, you know, I think I think Harson will be choosy, but again, if he could get UCLA, I think it'd be hard for him to say no. As far as Jeff Munkin, we actually did one of his games this year. Very impressed by what he's done there. I mean, they won 16 games the last two years, have a chance uh, to go 9-3. and three. Now, they did – it was actually the week we did his game. Army and Bukorg and the AD, they, he has a new deal. I think it's a five-year deal. I don't know what his next move would be. He did really well at, at Georgia Southern before he jumped into, uh, jumped into this Army job, which had been struggling, and he's – he should be in the running for coach of the year. His name deserves to be talked about. You know, I think sometimes people get may have gotten him confused early on with his cousin, Todd, you know, who had done a really good job as a college coach before moving on to the NFL. But, uh, I think, you know, as we get closer to army Navy game, I think people will get probably get a little more awareness of just, just how good of a job he's done, especially in the last couple of years there. 
it's the same thing with Ken Niamatololo. Nobody wants to run the triple option, and uh, at, at, at a big, you know, high-profile place. Georgia Tech's been doing it for however many years with Paul Johnson, and uh, other than that, I don't sense that. Uh, I mean, look, if anybody was going to do that, right, it would be Nebraska, and they want Scott Frost. They want the new, current, modern, up-tempo offense. It's just that system is not you know, feel like it's not going to attract recruits the fans aren't going to be excited to watch it so i'm not saying he's going to be an army for the rest of his life but i don't think it's as obvious that like you said a coach of the year candidate absolutely but that i don't think it's necessarily obvious that he would then become a hot candidate because of that yeah look and if he la- if he's there in west point for a long time that's a really good thing for for the folks there because he's done a terrific job all right, Jay Phil, fellas, a lot of talk from your writing brethren about OSU and the playoff. As much as it is about wins, isn't it about L's? How is the Pac-12, specifically USC, out of the playoff while OSU, I'm sure he means the Buckeyes, not the Cowboys, has a shot? Is this for the same reason that the Pac-12 schools are absolutely getting disrespected with television schedule Stanford and Wazoo getting dumped from the weather till the weather delay was over. The Friday night games getting moved because of the friggin' truck racing. Help us, please, Jay Phil. <laughs> a lot, a lot of, a lot of um, discontent in Pac-12 country this year because of the t- television situation. Why don't I address that first, real quick? You know, I'm sympathetic to it. I am the late kickoff times and the truck racing thing was that was the what Washington Stanford game. Mm-hmm. You know that was that was brutal, but there, people don't. Pac-12 fans, unfortunately, you know, I, I I know why you wouldn't want to kind of cop to this, but there's no leverage. If you look at the ratings for Pac-12 games, they're just they're not close to a Penn State or an Ohio State or a Michigan game. So why would the networks give them special treatment or want to put as many Pac-12 games in a in a prime time window as a as a Big Ten game or frankly even. A, you know some of the major pro, the the brand name programs for some of the other conferences. The 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 proof is in the pudding. You know when there's a, uh, you'll see it this week probably with the Apple Cup in prime time. Um, hey, that's my game, and I hope a lot of people watch it, Bruce. <laughs> but it's opposite the Notre Dame Stanford game. You know the Iron Bowls earlier that day. Believe me, that's the Apple Cup. That's frankly the biggest game of the year in the Pac-12, and it's just it's not going to get the same kind of rating that. I don't know, Penn State, Michigan State, or somebody would. So that, and that's why that weather delay, why your employer was so intent on sticking with the Penn State, Michigan State game. It's just going to get better ratings. But I figured I should take that since you aren't, we don't, you know, I don't want to put you in an uncomfortable position. I don't know if Ohio State's in the playoff. You know, we're just kind of guessing if, if they went out. We're just kind of guessing on that. And because I think what the committee has told us primarily to this point, is that it's all about the W's, not the L's. And you saw that with Clemson in last week's rankings. I okay. was frankly okay, puzzled so, about that. So so to, to back Jay's case, and he used USC, which to me is a tougher sell because, you know, when you look at USC's, their L's are not great because they got blown out in South Bend, the game that you were at, and they, they obviously lost in Pullman on a Friday night. But their W's are not great either. I mean, you look at it, they beat Arizona, who's okay, but that's not a that's not a top 15 win. And they beat Stanford, but Stanford, you know, depending on what happens in Notre Dame, Stanford's not a top 10 team. So what do you hang your hat on there? Yeah, the Pac-12's problem this year is not TV times. It's that they're just not very good. It's just not, there's no elite team in that conference. 
USC was supposed to be that. They get blown out I mean, of their name. Stanford yeah. loses to San Diego State. Washington, did you see the end of that game the other night? I they did, were yeah. so fortunate to beat Utah. Kyle Whittingham doesn't call timeout. That game's going to overtime. Yeah, by the way, so, I mean, I don't know who has the best case. I mean, Washington State may have, you know, as good a resume as USC. I mean, they both have a blowout loss to a one's to at least to Notre Dame on the road. The other one's to Cal, who's, you know, at best a 500 team. But if Washington State were to beat Washington, they would have a win over them. They have a nice non-conference win over Boise State, who we talked about before. They would probably have to beat USC twice. I mean, I don't think that trumps what what Ohio State will have to do over the last month. Mm-hmm. But Here's the one nobody's talking about. If you want to keep Ohio State out of the playoff, and believe me, I'm not comfortable with the team that lost 55-24 to Iowa making the playoff, what you want to see happen is it's probably going to be TCU-Oklahoma in the Big 12. It hasn't officially, mm-hmm. TCU hasn't officially clinched it, but if they beat Baylor, you want TCU to beat Oklahoma. TCU would be the 11-2 Big 12 champ. I assume they would get presence over Oklahoma, although they might just say, well, they But then what happens with Oklahoma versus Ohio State? Oklahoma beat them. Handily. On the road. In Columbus. So that's how Ohio State gets shut out. They get two Big 12 instead. Do you feel confident that the committee would still, if, if let's say, Ohio State thumps Michigan and then thumps an undefeated Wisconsin to go 11-2, and two, Whereas Oklahoma would beat West Virginia and then lose to TCU close, do you think that the committee would would definitely pick the Sooners with that win in Columbus over Ohio State? I'm not that sure that they would. Well, I can't say definitely because we just saw them last week keep them. They're only up to number four, and they specifically held that Iowa State loss against them, which is just baffling to me that you can excuse Clemson, Syracuse. Syracuse is four and seven now. You can just excuse that because um, Kelly Bryant got hurt, and then blame Oklahoma for losing to Iowa State, who got up as high as number fifteen in the polls afterward. But anyway, I think what's going on there is that they're they don't like Oklahoma's defense. So Clemson plays better defense, obviously. Uh, so they're higher. Miami clearly plays better defense, so they're higher. So yeah, I mean it's possible. That they would hold it against them, but think about what you would be comparing there. You'd be comparing eleven and two against eleven and two. Ohio State would have beaten Wisconsin, Penn State, Michigan State, Michigan, but their losses would be to Oklahoma, and then of course the Iowa one. Oklahoma would have road wins at Ohio State, at Oklahoma State. They would have clobbered TCU the first time before losing to them in the title game, and the losses would be. Iowa State TC. I mean, how how would I fail to see how you could pick Ohio State over Oklahoma? Oh, I do. I, I I'm with you. I mean, I, I I agree. But I'm just asking about the committee. I mean, it's to me, it's a it's an unpredictable bunch. They could just leave TCU out anyway, though. They could say, well, congratulations on winning the Big Twelve, but Oklahoma's got a better resume, and and so does Ohio State. I don't. At I that don't. point, they're just daring Gary Patterson to go take an SEC <laughs> job. <laughs> Or Bob Bowlesby to storm the castle. I don't. That, that that's a scenario that uh, it, it's hard to seriously entertain that scenario. Mostly because the Oklahoma TCU game was so lopsided that it's hard to comprehend why we think that would go the opposite way the second time. But man, TCU 
outside of that Oklahoma game, has played some tremendous defense. Look what they did to Texas Tech the other day. Yeah, no, I mean, that was impressive, especially without their leading tackler, Trayvon Howard, without their starting strong safety. I mean, and to do it to do it in Lubbock, no less. I, I mean, we've said it a thousand times. He's a great defensive coach, and he's a, he's a, he's a great coach, period. So, all right, let's get to Gorlewski here, right? Can't go Jason, through a mailbag without Gorlewski. Evidently. Jason Gorlewski, Bruce and Stewart, Will Muschamp seems to have learned and grown up a lot since his time at UF. How much of South Carolina's success is due to Muschamp's growth, and how much is due to having a quarterback like Jake Bentley? Thanks again, Jason Gorlewski from South Carolina. Well, both, right? I mean, and first of all, I just want to give a lot of credit to Will Muschamp. I didn't think this was possible. Uh, I didn't think a guy could reinvent himself the way he has. They have a chance. Well, they'll be no worse than 8-4, and and of course, if they could upset Clemson, that would be... You know, Will Muschamp will, will get a statue there. I think that this shows the importance of having a quarterback. But that being said, two of his quarterbacks of Florida are in the NFL now. It's so nobody could say he didn't have talented quarterbacks. He did. He had Jacoby Brissett and Jeff Driscoll, but he couldn't do anything with them. So I think the lesson learned here was you gotta. It was what kind of offense? Hire a good college coordinator. Yeah, hire a good. Don't hire Charlie Weiss. He, um, by the way, another quarterback who loved him, who's very talented, Will Greer. Will yeah. Greer loved Will Muschamp, and obviously that didn't work out with uh, with McElwain. But and he look, had Kurt Roper, Roper the last year at Florida, but I just it was too late. Yeah, it was too late. So Kurt Roper's really good. He was uh, he's a Cutcliffe guy. His temperament's really good. I could definitely see Kurt Roper. Uh, you know, if and when, and I'm guessing it's not that long from now that. That Rice would make a move, you know, with uh, David Bailiff. That I Kurt Roper as as Rice ties. I could see him being a head coach there. They've done a really good job. Jake Bentley's had a little bit of inconsistency, but he's a young quarterback, and I think that's to be expected. And they're eight and three. I mean, I don't. I give them a little bit of a chance to knock off Clemson. I mean, I think it's definitely a game to keep an eye on because I think they're 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 good. They've had some injuries, but they're still battling through it and. You know, I, I think that they're on the uprise. I, I, I could definitely see South Carolina being, you know, a top 15 team next year with what, what he's building off of this year. I think it's been quietly in a, in a under the radar, a very, very good story. I feel like Clemson is sitting there just waiting to be exposed a little bit. The idea that they're the number two team in the country again, this just doesn't feel like last the last two years Clemson teams to me you know you look back now and what they built this great resume on well they played Auburn without carry on Johnson the next biggest win was considered to be Virginia Tech who I think will be back in the top 25 this week but by no means is a you know tremendous opponent and then what what after that so NC State but that being said you know this South Carolina team has not yet shown that they can play with an opponent of that caliber and then Miami I want to get on that bandwagon. I want to just say, just don't you think it would be better for college football to have some new blood in that playoff, and and not just Clemson, Alabama too. You know, I I would take an Auburn and Miami uh, playoff field over an Alabama and Clemson one. But again, with Miami, haven't seen them go away. You know, they have great wins at Hard Rock. I haven't we haven't seen them do it away from home against a good competition yet. Well, if they do in the ACC title game, that would. 
That would count. That would win over some people. Yeah, I think that, so. That certainly. Would, that would be a book it, book it to the playoff kind of game. So, so anyway, sure. that's it for the mailbag. As always, send your questions to the audiblepod at gmail.com. And before we wrap up, yeah. it's time for our shout-outs. It Stu, is. you go first. My shout-out this week, hey, I'm going to be a little bit of a homer on this week's shout-out. Why not? Our good friend Pat Fitzgerald, Northwestern, just won their sixth game in a row. It is their first six-game winning streak since 1996, when I was a junior and uh, fondly recall that seven-game winning streak that year en route to a shared Big Ten title. I would not have seen this coming when they were two and three. They got blown out by Duke early in the season. Their offense was really struggling, but you know, Justin Jackson's doing his thing again. Clayton Thorson. It has been a light schedule. Nobody would deny that, but uh, they're in the top 25. They're going to beat Illinois this week to finish nine and three. It'll be the second time in three years that they've won at least nine games. So good for them. Okay, Stu, my shout out is to a guy who once worked at one of my many alma maters. And that was at SUNY Albany. By the way, the Great Danes, as I'm sure you followed, pulled off a big upset knocking off New Hampshire 15 to nothing this past weekend. Uh, but that wasn't it. It's actually for former Great Danes assistant Dave Clawson. Mm, got Wake yes. Forest 7-4, and four, has a chance to win eight games there. They have Duke coming up. He's done a very, very good job. And quite honestly, his name should come up at other places. Uh, not to say that, you know, sorry, Wake Forest, I'm trying to run him out of there, but that's a tough job. And the fact that right now they have they are higher up in the standings in the ACC Atlantic than both Louisville and FSU, among others, is pretty mind-boggling, no? Dave Clawson has, has both rebuilt and won everywhere he's been and would seemingly be a really logical hire for some of these jobs. I feel like that one year as Phil Fulmer's offensive coordinator just gets held against him for eternity. Which is crazy because things were melting down at that point anyway. Right. That would be like holding, uh, what would be a good example of that? Like holding Brady Hoke. <laughs> Brady Hoke's got his other reasons to criticize him. Holding him responsible for Butch, all of Butch Jones's problems at Tennessee or Randy Shannon for all of Jim McElwain's problems at Florida. Yeah, it's crazy. Look, I mean, I don't know what Tennessee's thinking, but they could do worse than hiring than hiring Dave Clawson there yeah. in Knoxville. I agree. So, with that, Bruce, you're going to spend Thanksgiving in Seattle. No, I'm actually going to be able to spend Thanksgiving here with my family, and then first thing Friday morning, I will be flying up to Seattle for the Apple Cup, which I'm looking forward to. Have it's, you been it's to a good an matchup. Apple Cup before? I have not. No. I think that's going to be an awesome, awesome atmosphere. And if you're just talking X's and O's wise, like watching that Washington game the other night and how much their DBs are struggling, both against Stanford and that game, I'm thinking, good God, uh, Falk is going to throw all over them. But we also know how poorly Washington State has played away from home this season. So I don't know what to expect in that one. You should have a really good game. The last time I was actually in, in that stadium, it was a much different looking stadium. Uh, oh, you haven't been to the new stadium. It's awesome. I've been there, but not for a game. Yeah. I've been there, but not for a game. But the last time I was there for a game, Rick Neuheisel was a head coach. Marcus Tuiasa-Sopo was their star quarterback. And they knocked off Miami. And that was the last time Miami had lost for you know for quite some time. But it was a, it was a loud, raucous atmosphere. And I'm hoping we get something similar kind of energy there 
for our game. Pretty confident there's going to be a loud, raucous atmosphere at the game I'm going to, the Iron Bowl. So excited because I was not at either the Cam Newton Iron Bowl or the Kick Six. Andy Staples won those draw. I, I don't actually remember why I wasn't at those games, but he was at them and I was not. Or maybe Pete Thamel. These were both at SI. Yeah, Thamel. No, he wasn't. He wasn't out at them. I don't think he was for the Kick Six game. I remember him. His story from uh. that. anyway. I was at the Michigan-Ohio State game earlier that day where, and I still don't understand how this happened, but Michigan, as terrible as they were on offense all that year, had Devin Gardner had the game of his life, and they almost beat. Remember, the Ohio State was undefeated. They went for mm-hmm. two at the end and lost. Anyway, I was in the press box writing my story when the kick six happened. So I'm excited. This is the biggest Iron Bowl since then, obviously. And uh, going to St. Louis first to my wife's family for Thanksgiving. Then headed there. So we should have and, – and then on Sunday, as we know, is Black Sunday in college football. All these coaching changes we're talking about will be well underway. So I would have guessed the next Audible a week from today, Monday, might have to be like a double episode or something. There's going to be so much to talk about. Okay. Well, to all our listeners, thank you for being loyal listeners and enjoy your Thanksgiving, especially if you're listening to this in the car ride somewhere where you're going to eat a lot of food. Some of the stuff on the coaching front probably will be sorted out by then. Some of the other stuff may have unfolded. But uh, enjoy the holiday. All right. Well, here's a few more things before we go. If you enjoy the Audible, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get podcasts. If you enjoy college football podcasts, also subscribe to the All American Podcast with Nicole Auerbach, Max Olson, and Chantel Jennings. Our producer is Nick Fink. Our intro song is Dangerous by Kevin and the Octaves. Download their music on iTunes and Spotify. Follow Bruce on Twitter at Bruce Feldman CFB. Follow me, Stu, at SL Mandel. And subscribe to The All-American if you haven't done so already at theathletic.com slash all-american. Come on, get over here.